Welcome aboard this week's podcast of Dudes Dish Disney. Get ready for amazing attractions across America. Beer halls and bar rooms, banquets and beverages, a collection of characters and colleagues. No cupcakes. It's Dudes Dishing Disney. This episode of Dudes Dish Disney is sponsored by Magic Vacations. Magic Vacations. Discover the magic of travel. And now your hosts, the dudes of Dudes Dish Disney. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dudes Dish Disney. Joining us today is Jonathan, our producer and resident tech dude. What's going on, guys? Also joining us is Ryan, our co-host. He is the number one Disney dude. What up, dudes? And I'm Congo Carl, former Jungle Cruise skipper, here to guide you through this week's episode of Dudes, Dish, Disney, the business of Disney. What would Walt do? I hate that phrase. <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say it. Twitter has made me hate that phrase. So trigger warning to anybody who follows us on Twitter and doesn't like me, you're going to hear a lot of me today. How do you feel, John? I don't, I mean, I'm not as triggered by it as Ryan is. Um, I do think it's a great expression. Um, I do feel like it's overplayed right now by a lot of people, basically, especially how everyone in Disney, whatever, doesn't seem to like something or whatnot. The expression very well is, well, what would Walt do? Would Walt would have done this differently? Walt would have done this. Walt would have done this. Yes, he probably would have. But a lot's changed since when Walt was doing things. So there's valid reasons why things are probably different and what and why things are a lot different than that, especially technology, what rides are, everything like that. Use use some common sense, people. Yeah, I yes. think we should come back to that and, and yeah. play around with that on I have a lot to say about that. Right. I think that's a <laughs> I think that's good but to kind of dive into the psyche of it, you know, and why it does, doesn't work today and everything. Um, but I think maybe, and I don't know if it will soften um, anyone's opinion about the expression, but I think it's important um, to understand where it came from and its derivative and why it was a phrase and why it was both a positive phrase at one point and I think then morphed into something that was controversial. Um, we all know that Walt died in 1966, and uh, since that time, there was some challenges uh, in the organization. And this phrase really came out. I, I got to tell you, I actually met the person who coined this phrase, and I think somewhere I have a picture of of me with Card Walker and Ron Miller, right? Um, so uh, Card Walker was the head of uh, Walt Disney World uh, uh, Resorts when, uh, when I was working there. And uh, anyways, how the story came back in the 60s was um, they decided to go move forward. Roy decided to move forward with Walt Disney World, right? The project, Epcot Center, the whole legacy, the Florida project. And they decided to do it. So with all the challenges with Walt not at the helm, it was... The question of who would be in charge, right? And so three people moved to the top. It was Don Tatum, Card Walker, and Ron Miller. Now we know Ron Miller was uh, Diane Disney's husband. 
Um, and we know uh, Don and Card had been moving up in the organization as well. And so the three of them were there. And so every time there was a decision to be made, especially on the Florida project, and even with some of the creative projects that were not complete at the time of Disneyland at Walt's Passing. For example, the Haunted Mansion is the one that everyone takes that story to, right? There was a camp that wanted to make it scary and a camp that wanted to make it funny, right? And there was a big argument. So somebody in a meeting and that some person was Card Walker posed the question is, what would Walt do? And of course, all of the Imagineers and everything loved that phrase. And it became a litmus test for any sort of major or significant decision within the company that the board would make decisions at that time. What would Walt do, you know, for this? Now, the challenge is, is what happened is um, when all these projects came into uh, hand, one of the challenging things at the time of the 70s and 80s was the movie business, right? And the whole movie business. And Disney had sort of lost their Midas touch and magic formula on that moody movie business while the world was going into in the 1970s, you know, Star Wars and Jaws and blockbuster films. Disney was still doing, you know, Herbie the Love Bug rides again for the 16th time, right? They were using these same formulas that were successful in the early 60s, late 50s and saying, this is what we're going to produce. And their studios were failing, right? And because they were asking this question and they were going back to old formulas that weren't, to your point, keeping up with the times. And that got even more difficult. As a matter of fact, you know, before other executives took over and pivoted the studio, the first controversial movie that was made um, in the 80s, the first PG movie, from Disney was the black hole, which was their attempt to kind of catch up with Star Wars, right? And they used the word hell and damn in it. Oh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. hey. Right. And so oh, that was, that. yeah, and that was a big, that was a big to do, you know, for them to kind of get in there. So, um, so that's kind of the, the incarnation is all of these things had to pass this litmus test. Can you imagine a board of directors, somebody with the scope of Disney, and, and somebody coming to a project, and now this is ingrained in institute, well, what would Walt do, right? And they're really debating it, you know? You know, I, he would make the haunted, haunted Mansion funny, not scary. Or, you know, he would build the, the city of tomorrow. Right, here's the mistakes he's learned. Remember what he'd learned, you know, in Disneyland he didn't like. Let's make sure we don't do that in Disney World. So a lot of that was good at the time, right? One of the things Walt hated was, people showing up in different costumes from different lands of Disneyland. That's why he built the utilidor system in Walt Disney World, right? Problem solved. We made a mistake and do it. And that was the consensus of, yeah, what would Walt do? He already thought of these things. He was thinking of it. it hadn't been built, but people remembered these conversations with Walt and, and how he was always plussing things and, and paying attention to details. And, and this is what we're going to do, right? And so it was from those conversations, but as time progressed, right? People couldn't remember those conversations or something changed and Walt never had a conversation. So the question, what would Walt do became more difficult and more difficult at the executive level to, to, um, to, to handle. So it was a great negotiation tool when it started. I think Card Walker was clever to come up with that and make that part of the philosophy. It did help them build Epcot and, and solve a lot of problems and bring the ingenuity of Epcot forward. Uh, so it was appropriate at that time for, you know, the late seventies, 
um, early 80s. But now as we go beyond that, I think the challenge exists. So based on that history, do you feel a little different about the phrase or not, Ryan? I feel exactly the same about the phrase. I, I hope other people understand more about the phrase now. I mean, you know, to me, when I start thinking about that, and I, I'll give room for us to breathe on these subjects, right? But for me, I think that the number one thing you said there was you hinted at Walt's creativity and Walt's openness to change. You know, that's that's where his ingenuity came from, was his ability to look at things and say, hey, we didn't do it right the first time. Maybe we need to change it. And I think today, so much of the Disney public listens to or sees change and says, Walt would have wanted it exactly the same way. And that's just not true. You know, and that what you just said absolutely proves that Epcot was all about change, you know, and that was his last great vision was changing. And how can we change the world, you know, so I think anything that comes out where it's like, hey, you know, I don't know. I don't think Walt would have liked that. I think you're very much underestimating Walt's ability to analyze things from a new perspective, which was maybe his greatest strength as a business person, uh, really as a parent um, and as an animator, you know, was the ability to do that kind of thing. You're right. And if you go into, you know, one man's dream and you see the evolution of how he did the first, so many of the first in motion picture business, right? And he was constantly evolving. And then you fast forward to when he died and how that really dropped off and there was no innovation for them and other people were surpassing him. I think that's a great example is that, you know, that's where they missed it. They kept going back instead of going forward as he would. He went forward with, with formats, with content, with sound, with color, with the multi-plane, uh, you know, drawing systems, with the digitization of, uh, of some of his characters. I mean, he went forward really ahead of his time and he was the person kind of you know thinking that ron miller his son kind of took over movie studios and he was really well known for not being creative at all right being more of a business person and i think that's that's the point and that ties right into the whole issue that you're talking about is people lean on that and say well you know what would he do and if there's any deviation they start to question the existing management at, at disney yeah, I think um, I think what from a business perspective, right? We're we're having a business show. There's a a book out, and and it's actually not that it's not that complicated, right? But but there's a whole book out that's called Blue Ocean Strategy, right? I'm sure Carl, you've heard of this before, right? Blue Ocean Strategy is essentially the concept that you're going to create something in a crowded marketplace that nobody else has ever seen before. So the marketplace, if you think of sharks in the water. The marketplace is red from blood in the water. You want to get out to that blue water where there's no sharks and create a new space, right? That's the most simplistic way I can describe that. Walt was blue ocean strategy. Walt was constantly looking for that blue water. He was constantly looking for a way to get to the next level, which also talks to who he was as a business person. You know, business people, non-business people, people that are just doing this to see smiles on people's faces are not taking that step. They're not going to that level because the only reason you go to that level is for two reasons. Number one, pure joy, which absolutely Walt had. And number two, to put an extra dollar in your pocket, right? 
you can very easily look at six flags. You can very easily repeat the same formula over and over and over again for decades upon decades upon decades, putting money in your pocket until all of a sudden it no longer works, right? Walt could have done that. Walt easily could have done that if that's what he really truly wanted, but he didn't and, and he shouldn't, you know? Well, so, and, and that's the question I think rather it brings us up is uh, the controversy comes is I think the other side of the fence is saying, is this business group and community at Disney doing that now? Are they doing just that? Are they repeating everything that they're doing it and not bringing any new innovation and not bringing enough new to the table? That's the criticism I think that we're hearing, right? Yeah, we're hearing that, but it's funny because there's really both sides of the argument happening at the same time with the same excuse, right? Just kind of like what you were talking about with the Haunted Mansion, like should we make it a bit scarier? Should we make it funny, right? They're doing a little bit of both because they're trying to appease both sides right now. You know, they're definitely coming up with ingenuity. You can't doubt what they've done with, you know, even if you don't like the ride, Seven Doors Mine Train, they brought up, they designed a whole new track system for that. You know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, a whole new a whole new Cosmic Rewind, a whole new track system for that. They're bringing ingenuity to the way that they're doing things, the way they're performing these buildings, the way that they're theming the lands in Walt Disney World, right? Um, they're bringing it to the movies. They're bringing it to the way that Lightyear was done, for instance. They basically just took a movie based on a movie, based on a TV show within that movie, right? I mean, like, like that's that's not something that's done anywhere else. That's a really bright idea by Disney, regardless if you think it worked out or not, right? Those are things that Disney is doing that maybe people are overlooking. And I think you're right. I don't. I think that they they tend to be more favorable in that because that is the Imagineers. What we're talking about that is the new products, right? That come out, right? Whether they're they're movies or. Uh, any kind of entertainment platform, the parks, et cetera. So I think that group of, of talented people has been isolated within the organization and they still live with that quote, probably over 90% of their desks, right? And to drive the, the, the innovation and the new and everything. So I'd like to isolate that now and, and talk about the people who have a problem with this phrase, what would Walt do as it relates to business practices, okay? And the business practices, because that's where the criticism is coming, at least online in some of the forums that we see in the in the Twitterverse. Here's here's an example of it. I'll, I'm going to give you a few words that were always part of the different part of Walt's business and what he did, right? In, specifically in the parks now I'm talking about, okay? Um, here's the first one, and you guys can both comment on it, right? It was all about family. The parks were for everyone. That was an initial principle that still people will argue is guides for today. And some people will say, nah, they, they're not doing that the way Walt would do it. Right? The parks are for family. The parks are for everyone. What are your thoughts on that? Are, are, they, are they meeting that expectation or not from a business perspective? I... I think so. I, I would definitely say that no matter who you are, what your economical status is, whatever it may be, you see all types of people in the parks. And yes, we all can say, and there's no sugarcoating it, Disney is expensive. Disney is 100% expensive here. But you still see all types of people, all age brackets, at Disney. 
So that that is definitely met. That is 100% definitely met. I have a seven-year-old who's 50 inches tall and he can do everything at Walt Disney World except for drink alcohol, <laughs> right? Which, you know, maybe he'll do at 14. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> I think that speaks to it right off the bat on its own that yes, it's still a family park. I think where this comes from today though, is I think people are starting to talk about the Disney adult and this concept of the Disney adult. And are we catering to the Disney adult? And yes, we are catering to the Disney adult. And let me tell you why we're catering to the Disney adult. Uh, Epcot was built in 1982. I was born in 1982. I grew up on Disney. I'm now 40 years old and I'm now bringing my family to Disney. The brilliance of catering to the Disney adult, like myself and like the two of you, is that you're attracting that person who's been going their whole life to keep coming and now also bring their families when they have their families. So let's talk about the single Disney adult, you know, the 25-year-old Disney adult that's just going to Epcot to drink around the world. Carl, you were that person in 1982, right? That, that hasn't changed. You... You famously invented that in 1982 as an adult. You were 19, right? 19, yep. So legally, you're an adult at 19. So this is not a new concept. Creating things for the full family means create stuff for the kids, create stuff for the teenagers, and create stuff for the adults, too. Walt's principle was all thought about sitting on a bench watching his kids on a carousel, right? So... He was like, this is no fun for me. If I'm going to make this multi-generational, what do I do to make sure that I'm having fun as much as my kids? So anybody, anytime somebody says, oh, they've made it too much for the Disney adult, you're, you're missing the point of the very first point that Walt made. Yeah, a couple of points that you bring up I wanted to comment on. Uh, one, just so I don't get reported by the police or anything, the drinking age was 18 when I was 19. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've passed the statute of limitations at this okay. point. Just making sure, you know. Carl, we, 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 we all know how, okay. how much you drink anyways at this point. So, um, so anyways, that, that, that's number one. But, um, you know, recently I came across online, there was a very interesting interview with Walt Disney when the park had really opened up in the 50s. And people were saying, you know, you know, what's the crowd, what's your demographics like and everything. And he said, you know, uh, in the summers, it's very busy. People are bringing their children. It's summer vacation and their kids are. And on the weekends, you know, families are here. He goes, well, what's interesting to me is that, you know, during the week when the kids are in school, how many adults are out there enjoying the rides and riding on them when it's less crowded here in the park? And it's really appealing to adults. So this, this phenomena of Disney adults, I think, was really around since day one in Disneyland. Um, it just we lived in a different time in, 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 in when that opened in 1955. Right. And so I think the life world was a little carefree, a little bit more uh, loose, a little more simple, where people got joys and excitement out of going to a park like this, you know, in simpler times. Right. And so, so no one questioned that it was weird. I think fast forward 40 years now, and we live in more complex wor worlds. We live more with all kinds of forms of entertainment at our fingertips. And this whole Disney adult concept, you know, is, is looked on kind of like, uh, you know, differently. We have the 
we had our shows on weird Disney fans and all the crazy things they do. Right. And you're thrown into that bucket as, as an adult, these adults have existed a long, long time. Right. It's yeah. like, it's, it's a really good point. It's just a change in the difference of what they appreciated then versus what we appreciate now. And again, that, I think that's, what, yeah, I skipped Disneyland, right? Because that's not in my lifetime when that was opened, right? But, but yeah, 1955, and you start talking about all the things that were produced in Disneyland and all the, all the forward thinking that Walt did. He did that as an adult from an adult's perspective as really what would I enjoy if I was out there? So how can you say that he's we're not we, they weren't catering to adults when he was literally building things based on what he thought he would enjoy as an adult taking his family to a theme park? Okay, so families, the parks are for families, family entertainment source, the parks are for everyone. Now we again fast forward this phrase and some of the criticism that you started to talk on, John. I think where we see the criticism on him, hey. Walt wouldn't have done this. He made the parks affordable for the family, for everyone. And this pricing thing is out of, out of uh, key, whack, right? It's crazy now what the pricing is. If you look historically, Walt Disney Corporation as a company did not leverage the popularity of the parks all the way through the 80s. They could have made a lot more money, but they deliberately had made it less, less, less all those times. And the existing management that took over to him continued that. And it wasn't until some of the later eras of Eisner and the likes that they said, Hey, you guys are not leveraging this for our stockholders. You know, there's a golden goose here and we're not doing that relative. And what I say to everybody is still true. Disney said, okay, we're charging, you know, in 19, um, 80 early 80s we're charging 24.99 a day for the park all day all you could do and one of the disney executives went out to a um wine festival tasting in the west coast in colorado or, or the mountains and uh and they were getting ready for the uh creating the wine festival at epcot and they went skiing they said well there's lift tickets out here were 35 bucks and, and the lift tickets only open from 9 a.m. till 4 p.m. I go to the parks are open from 8 a.m. till midnight and we're charging 25. If they're getting $35 for a ski ticket, I can at least get $35 for, you know, for 12 hours in the park. There's a value there. And he brought that to everyone's attention. And in the 80s is when the prices started to go up because they realized they were undervalued. Right. So that's a business decision and a smart one if you're a stockholder and everything. And I have to believe that if Walt had experienced that too, he would have said, yeah, it's time for us to, you know, he always said, you know, it, it costs money for these parks. They're not subsidized by the government. I've got to make money if I want to reinvest in them. So that what would Walt do? He wouldn't raise the prices. I don't really think that flies. I don't think that flies either because obviously Walt made enough money off of what he was doing to realize the potential of a second significantly larger theme park right he wasn't he wasn't yes again was he in it for the passion and what he wanted to do i won't question that at all uh do i think he's just some heartless businessman no not at all i think i think uh i think what walt put on tv was a facade to a lot of people in a lot of way but by all accounts he was still a very good human being behind that facade right but my point of bringing that up is basically to say that 
a business person from you don't start a venture of any sort unless you want to make money or at least grow it. And in order to grow it, you have to make money, right? So let's fast forward to the 80s when they really started to ramp up. Well, let's look at what's happened since then, right? Since then, now you have you have the parks expanding not only in Orlando, but globally, right? So they, they made that money. And it's not like they're not reinvesting that money to other places for more people to experience that joy, which I think is important in this. Because when you want to talk about making sure everybody can enjoy it, for everybody, all families, that does not resonate just in the United States, right? There are families outside of the United States that get to enjoy this as well in Europe and in Asia, right? So I think that's important. In order to meet that goal, you have to do that. And that's where some of these business decisions are lost is now you have to look at it and say, okay, we have a park in Shanghai. We've got a park in, in Japan. We've got a park in Orlando. We've got a park in uh, Anaheim, California. We've got you know one in Paris, right? All of those parks are now operating under one CEO of Disney parks or whatever. And that person is now making financial decisions with a shell game, moving money from here to here to there to there. So yes, maybe they jacked up the rates in Orlando because they could, but the rates in Euro Disney have not been jacked up like that. Well, and the rates in, in Shanghai, right? Um, the rate I believe for someone to go is equal to a week's pay. So it's not inexpensive, right? Right. Okay. Uh, and so you're bringing a family of four, you've got to work a month before you can save that money before you can bring them. And that assumes you had nothing else to debate. By so no other bills. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you had to now look at the cost of family of four for a day is not, I'm sorry, a month's pay of the right. average American. So, you know, look, look in the proportion is it that they're going to consider that very expensive. We would consider that outrageous, right? So who says we're not getting a deal? I want to move on to another sentence. I'm, again, some key phrases Walt used to say, a core to his business. And, and how do we apply this? What would Walt do? Hang on um, one second. One second, Carl. I'm sorry. Hang on one second, because I think it's important because I know what the feedback is going to be on those statements that we just had. The feedback is going to be, yeah, but what about the greed at the top? Right. What about the money that the executives are making? Fair enough. What about the executives and why aren't the cast members making it? I want to make sure that we understand that these are different conversations, right? I'm not going to comment one way or, or the other because I am very much at heart a capitalist and a business person. But at the same time, I also care about people and I want to make sure people have a living wage. So I don't want to comment on that and get myself in trouble. But I think people need to understand the conversation that we're having right now is based around the average family being able to go to Walt Disney World and not about who's making money off of it, right? It's not about, it's not about where the money's displaced within the company. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there to kind of put the cap on that conversation before we get accused of ignoring that. No, that that's fair enough. Look at, I'm a capitalist too. And I always laugh when people say something, you know, who are Disney fans who say something about capitalism. I said, if it wasn't for capitalism, the park wouldn't exist for you to go to. Yeah. <laughs> It's I mean, true. it was it was invested in by companies and all these corporate sponsors to get it going. It, it's a capitalist in, uh, endeavor to to produce a profit for the stockholder. Sorry, I mean, if you want it to keep growing and getting big, you kind of have to believe in that, right? It's not innovation drives capitalism, and capitalism drives innovation. Right. It is a circle. It's circular. It's not. There's not singular one or the other. 
hence blue ocean strategy and what we talked about earlier there you go and, and it becomes a big circle of life yeah <laughs> sing enter, it enter lion king okay okay <laughs> all right here's the other another phrase right something he did all the time and this comes up too with uh, a lot of questions on on the show um cleanliness right the difference in his park was going to be it was clean it was going to be dirty like all those other amusement parks so cleanliness and there's been a lot of criticism on uh different parks at different times really towards the maintenance and the showpiece is you know what would walt do about the cleanliness issue it's not bad right but but people do notice the difference all right <laughs> i'm gonna go on this one i grew up across the street from six flags great america and just outside of chicago okay uh, it is one of the major Six Flags in the country. And I am telling you, if you have not been to one of these and walk Disney, you have no idea what you're talking about if you say Disney's not clean. Because Six Flags is a filth pit. Like the last time I walked into it after I haven't been in a while, I grew up on it. I loved it. I still love the roller coasters and stuff, right? But the last time I walked in, I had been to Disney five or six times before I had been in there. And I walked in and I almost threw up in my mouth a little bit, you know, because I was just like, this is nasty. It is nasty. It is noticeable. When I see the pictures of people posting these things on Twitter from Disney, it's like one wrapper wound up in a piece of grass somewhere. Like one wrapper. Like, like somebody ate their premium Mickey bar and accidentally dropped it and it hadn't been seen in five minutes. So somebody snapped a picture. That is not filth. Okay, maybe that's lack of labor, maybe that's training, maybe that's a lot of things, right? I think we've seen this grow over the last two years when labor has been very hard to come by, uh, especially that kind of labor, difficult labor. So I'm going to give them a real big pass on that one because I've seen the comparison and to me, the, the, the garbage cans are still emptied out and they are never overflowing right? There are still constantly people walking in front of me with a broom and a dustpan. Uh, there are still executives walking around with garbage pickers in their hands as, as they're going around. I don't see any reason why anybody should have any problem with the cleanliness in the parks. I'm not a single one. I I'm a pretty fair guy. If you point out something to me, I'll be like, okay, I can see that. And maybe I'll counterpoint, but I, I'll admit it if I see it. I don't see this one at all. I think, you know, and that's the question. Are people really looking for this on purpose right are you looking for the aha i got you you messed up I, I so i would i would say there's definitely there's definitely people that are there's there's you you get that group of people i mean we we all see it when when we're we're hanging around twitter and whatnot there, there's people who are looking they're looking for that little bit to attack they 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 want to find that one little tiny problem in a sea of, I don't want to say perfect, but a sea of perfect. They want, they want to find that because they're mad about who knows what and their way to satisfy and make everything perfect is I'm going to attack the, the best thing in the best thing on earth. I'm going to attack the happiest place on earth. So the big thing with this is, is it really, is it really there or is it in hindsight? And then what they say, John, when you're right, you're spot on when they see it and they go to attack on it. What are the, what's the phrase they use? 
what would Walt do? What right. would Walt say? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. They're breaking the promise. And I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, here's my problem with those types of people is that John nailed it. And this is really a disgusting part of our society today that didn't exist in 1955. Frankly, in 1955, if somebody had seen a piece of garbage in the grass, by all accounts, they probably would have picked it up themselves and thrown it away, right? Not been like, oh my God, why didn't somebody come and pick it up for me? Right. Like that, that's really what you're doing. And you're doing it to sell a blog or to get likes or to get retweets or whatever it is. Right. And it's gross. The more, the only thing that's gross is your reaction to something like that. You know, because I have been to Disney World enough times and I am not blind to it. I have seen popcorn spilled in some areas, but I see people within five minutes every time cleaning it up that work there. And I've been to Universal, which I love, and which is also a clean place compared to a Six Flags or whatever. And I've seen it take 15 or 20 minutes for it to get cleaned up. It does get cleaned up, but it's not nearly as fast as it is at Disney, right? And I think people just totally lose sight of that. Either they're completely spoiled or they're just trying to do it for attention. Uh, I don't really see anywhere in between. Again, every 30 steps. Every 30 steps, there's a trash can, right? There's a reason, there's a yeah. science for that and doing that. Look at, you know, it's funny you're saying in 1955, people wouldn't do that. I, I can remember as a kid growing up and going to a county fair, which was also a racetrack. And at, you'd go in, it was nice and clean to start the day. After the first race, the floor gets covered with ripped up lost race tickets. And by the third race, there's a pile of race tickets and there's empty beer cups and peanuts and popcorn all over the place right and by the time the 10th race goes on you know four hours later the place is a mess and that walt didn't want to do that you know he wanted to kind of change that that whole configuration and i think he did so when i, I agree with you both you know jonathan especially what you said there's people out there looking for it. let's grab another one here's another one that's i think really plays well into today and we see this a lot walt said as part of the ambiance of the park, we're going to include free little extras. Free little extras. And I'll give you some examples of what it is. This. Attention to detail, right? When the wrought iron was going to go on the top of uh, Main Street, people said, well, we can do uh, wire or wood or painted and everything. He said, no, it's got to be real wrought iron up there. And it's drove the cost up. But you know, even at a distance, it's got to be the real thing. Later on, somebody gave him, there's a great story of, they gave him the gift of um, the statues of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And he made a little waterfall next to Sleeping Beauty's castle and put that there. And it was something that you can kind of stumble in around the corner, not expecting to see. It wasn't an attraction listed on the map to go see, you know, this, this grotto in the waterfall. But people who did found a nice quiet space in the park and were just kind of taken back around all of the excitement and high technology is something simple as statues in a, a water fountain, right? So those are some examples of free little extras that he did that you didn't have to give an A ticket for, you know, even 10 cents to pay for. He did that all over the park. There's a lot of people asking about that and saying there's, when you talk about, you know, go away blue and, uh, and the green, you know, kind of they wouldn't do this. And where's the, you know, it, everything looks like a box. Why, where's the attention to detail? Where's the free little extras? I think we're kind of getting, I think we touch on two things in that conversation, right? Is 
the pre little extras doesn't mean the same to people now as what it used to mean to people. But it used to mean exactly what you described. We're going to put in the extra money to make sure that this looks professional, looks amazing, so that people have something to really truly enjoy. Right. And now it's like, I don't get my free shuttle bus anymore. You know, like, Where's my fast pass? I'm sorry if you're from the South. People from the North say it too. Like, I'm not trying to make fun of any one person, right? But like, here's the thing, right? Is that like, they still put in that attention to detail. They still drive every little bit that they can. Do they have to cut for things for costs? Yes, absolutely they do. You look at some of the original renderings and the original drawings for your favorite attractions. I think one of the more popular ones recently was the Toy Story with Slinky Dog Dash and what the original artist concept looked like versus now. And people are like super mad about it. And I'm like, yeah, but like you loved the ride until you saw that after fact, right? And I think people like look at these artist concepts and then they feel like they're Disney cheap in the experience for them. I hope everybody understands what the word concept means. Concept is not the same thing as this is the plan. This is what we're doing. This is somebody who's like, oh, this would be beautiful. And this is my vision and whatever. That doesn't mean that it's always going to be perfectly what they thought it was going to be. Walt had a great knack for taking concept, which was from the artists and the Imagineers and bringing it to blueprints, to your point, Ryan, what really we're going to build, right? And, And somewhere in there, the people had to meet to what was practical and what was able to be done. And what made sense, you know, and so that that's kind of important, you know, the concept art for the Jungle Cruise of this beautiful waterfall, and then actually building all of that, you know, concrete, so it would overhang safely on a boat, and be able to have hundreds of 1000s of gallons go over it was very different than what the drawing looked like. And I think the other thing too, right, is that like, you start to talk about that from the perspective of, um, where those extras have come in and whether or not they paid attention to detail but people don't realize that they're doing that i mean like look at pandora how can you not say that they didn't pay attention to detail that park isn't even used in the evenings for the vast majority of the year because it closes at like seven o'clock and they, they still put this amazing neon paint in there and made it look like this incredible place when it was in the dark right for what a third of the year people actually really truly get to enjoy that you know i think that's not somebody who's skipping on something to do for for costs right um galaxy's edge you know when galaxy's edge first opened everybody was complaining about galaxy's edge now everybody was saying it didn't meet the meet the standards but nobody was talking about it from the perspective of the ingenuity and the design and how awesome it looked right they were just talking about it because they didn't think that the one ride that was there was enough and they were hoping Rise of Resistance would save that, which it did, right? So, but but that's the thing is it's like people miss out on that stuff. Um, well, to, to your point with that too, Ryan, I know this kind of varies a little bit, but people, they always, people will always want more. And that's, that's one of the big issues too, is people, they'll always want more, no matter what you do, no matter what you give them, give me more. It's always give me more. So you're never, you're never going to satisfy them. It's a true perspective, John, and and from a business standpoint, that drives ingenuity, right? That also drives ingenuity, which also drives cost. And when you have cost on things and when you're building things, sometimes the cost becomes more than what the budget was and you have to make cuts. Otherwise, it's no longer profitable and then it's a, it's a loss 
if they if they build something and it can't be profitable because they took the materials too far, it's a loss. Look at Disney California Adventure originally when it was opened. Right. Look at every park has had um, things that were planned for and everything that were cut from yeah. budget right? because of those costs. Right. There was going to be how many pavilions around World Showcase originally? There was going to be you know um, how much go you know a whole land at the at Animal Kingdom that was was cut out. Right. That constantly happened. And by the way, that happens in any business. Too. I was going to say that. Right. I mean, if you start a business tomorrow selling lights. Right. And you're doing it through your Etsy shop and you're starting to make, you know, 100, 200 bucks uh, uh, a week. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to rent a building and I'm going to start selling lights out of my building now. All of a sudden you got overhead of that building that you have to pay for. That's not just your mortgage. And it's like, um, you know, this brass that I'm using for these lights is a little bit more expensive than I can afford now. So I'm going to have to change it. Right. It happens. Like you said, every business. So I want to move into another thing that that's very common when this comes up. What would Walt do? So the park with the most controversy around this phrase, what would Walt do is Epcot, right? We all know the legacy that Epcot was going to be a city, not a theme park. It developed into something else. It was in a reincarnation of several different things. And it wasn't what part of Walt's vision was. It turned into something else. It turned into something that was, you know, very different than planned. Right, right around from the original concepts, you know, it was designed to be educational and people saying it's no longer educational. And the other big one that happened from day one is the Epcot's original concept is you would never see Mickey Mouse or an IP at Epcot, you know? So there's a lot right there in that park I've just thrown out, but that, what, Walt, what would Walt do question comes up frequently in the terms of Epcot. We could probably do a whole show on what would Walt do Epcot. Uh, we really could. And for as much as it triggers me in some cases, there's more in this case that I agree with than any other park. And I think that's what makes it a hotter topic is I think there is more vision on both sides of the aisle on this one, if you will, right? There's more, there's more actual good concept. Was it originally supposed to be an IP? Probably not. Probably not supposed to have IPs in it originally. Although irony says, the original photos of opening it is Mickey Mouse standing in front of it with fireworks shooting out behind him, right? That was for commercial. That's really, you know. Uh, but that's my point, right? <laughs> Mickey Mouse isn't going to be here unless it's to draw you here so we can make money off of you, right? That's the original concept. But we'll let that one slide, okay? And we'll just look at like, was there going to be IP there? Okay, so, so let's just say, hey, it made sense to eventually bring Mickey there, right? Okay, it made sense, right? Well, then Figment was created. Well, yeah, but that's but that's Disney's own IP. They created that, so it's okay. Now, magically, it's okay. Or, you know, maybe the purists are still like, yeah, I still don't like Figment, but I, it makes sense. It fits with the park, right? That's the argument. Like, this argument will just continue to go, like, 300 steps, right, until we get to Guardians of the Galaxy being there, basically, at this point, or Moana being there, or Anna and Elsa being there, right? And I think this is where we have to really think about it and circle back to that original conversation we had about Walt's openness to change. And um, Carl, you made the point earlier about um, the movies tanking, right? Like how movies tanked and that they had to find their way back into that. I think that's what you can start to look at at the parks. Were they starting to tank? No, but they started to see that Epcot became was the second most popular park, not only at Disney World, but really in the country. 
and they started to see that Epcot started falling. It is no longer the second most popular park at Disney, and it is no longer the second most popular park in the United States, right? So how do we change that? What's driving people, right? And you look at some of these changes they're talking about making in the last five years where this conversation's really heated up, and you've brought this up a lot, Carl. Uh, Universal made Disney step up their game. But what is Universal using to step up their game to overtake Epcot in that, in that realm? They're using IPs. They're using very popular IPs. They're using Harry Potter. They're using Jurassic Park. They're using Kong. You know, they're using the mummy, even though that IP kind of sucked, but whatever. The ride's cool. Uh, they're using these popular IPs. So Disney said, we, you guys want to use IPs to level bring up this game. You want to go that big? We can do it with anybody. And then they combated that with festivals and said, take your IPs. We're going with IPAs. Yes. IPs and IPAs. They should actually rename the park IPs and IPAs. Maybe we get rid of the uh, experimental prototype community tomorrow and just call it IPs and IPAs. Come on down. John, I know you have, especially with Figment, right? I, I know you have some opinions on the IPs in Disney. So... Epcot's a weird one where, again, with what Epcot was originally supposed to be and what it is now, it, it's a weird one. I get the point of why they did it because it draws in the crowds and it competes with Universal down the road as well as every other theme park in the Orlando area. But I don't know. In its way that it is right now, in the way that Disney is run right now, it makes perfect sense. Because again, IPs are what feed and draw crowds. Based on what it was originally supposed to be, I, I don't know, the, with the original concept of Epcot as a theme park, not as the community, I don't know. I just, I, I don't feel that it made sense there. But again, for what it is in its entity now, it does make sense. And especially with the rise that they're bringing in again with Guardians, it's state of the art. It's, there's nothing else really like it out there. And again, you've got Moana coming in, what that's potentially supposed to be, all the other redesign that's going on. It makes sense. It makes sense to be into this decade and this century going forward for what's going to draw a crowd and what people want and what they expect to get when they're paying well over the $130 to get into the park and let's stuff like that to draw them. And let's, let's be honest. Okay. All of the things that you just named, which is really the majority of what people have an art problem with, with the exception of guardians of the galaxy, which is newer, right? The, the, the problem that people always have with those, it never made sense to me because you're in the world showcase. And if you're going to stick to the experimental prototype community of tomorrow as your logic for not having IPs, right? Then let's talk about how the World Showcase is really kind of a dedication to the past. It's not a dedication to tomorrow, right? Yeah. The World Showcase itself, every single country is talking about its culture, culture and its heritage. It's not talking about where is, let's just say, uh, Mexico going to be in the future, right? No, they're not talking about that at all. They're giving you a flavor of their history and their culture. So that's out the window right away. Um, now, one, one, one idea, and again, I'm spitballing here with kind of just based on what you're saying, 
is I almost feel like they need to rebrand a little bit what they do. World Showcase makes perfect sense. World Showcase does make perfect sense to what the idea of what Epcot originally was supposed to be. Again, it's community, it's people, culture. It makes perfect sense of what it is. Now, again, out of that, it's a hodgepodge of random rides. I will, I will be the first one to admit, and I'm sure our listeners and you guys both agree, it's a hodgepodge of random rides. I mean, look at what you've got. Spaceship Earth, um, Mars, I mean, those two work. Guardians, it kind of works into that whole realm. But then you get Test Track, you get Soren. I hate to throw Figment out of the bus, but Figment. Just it's okay. He's only part of your imagination. He won't get hurt. <laughs> um, but just throwing figment into that mix it doesn't make any sense so again it's the hodgepodge idea of rides just to throw rides in there to grab the crowd they didn't it didn't get designed well and again this show isn't it isn't spitballing ideas to throw epcot under the bus but i don't know i i feel like someone dropped the ball on that yeah, Honestly, at the original concept the original rides were very much similar to world showcase right it was the history of communications the history of transportation right it was uh you know technology looking forward but having enough ideas to look back backwards on your on the planet you know things like plants but looking forward and how we're gonna uh, take care of these ecology situations in the future right so it was a lot of it you have to know where you're going to go in the future by understanding your past and understanding history and i think one reason history is probably not taught enough is it's not there so they did then flip it to your point and and throw it in and that's when they started to throw the ips in because mm -hmm. they did it with the second rebranding of, of future world and that's you know crash test dummies you know ellen's universe of energy they started bringing in all these things and i think it became a not a question of you know what would walt do but what would michael eisner do you know at that point you know and and that's kind of where we are now with you know then the characters came in at least they were some respective tied into their country sometimes not always but sometimes so it, there was you could kind of get away with it but it's it brings back the question is if you're a purist what would walt do or would walt say no times are changing this is what we do now yeah and i think actually the characters are a perfect example of why walt would change right? Throwing the characters and the IPs into those World Showcase rides is a perfect reason for this. Um, they're telling the same story through a culturally appropriate, different way, right? It's still an education, which is a huge concept for Walt Disney, right? It's still education. Just because it's Anna and Elsa in there instead of a Viking doesn't mean that they're not telling a portion of the cultural and the history uh, of Norway. They're still telling it. They're just telling it in a way that kids are going to understand it more than just mom and dad. Well, again, Norway's real and historical and Arendelle's fictional. So that's where you get the whole. But you're getting, you're getting right. And, and I get, and I get that, but my argument is always the flair, right? You're just doing it with a different flair. You're using a made up place, but you're still showing the culture. The culture is very real in those movies. You've never hear, heard people from Norway get pissed off. Well, Norway, people from Norway don't get mad at many things they're, anyway. They're too nice to get mad. They're, they're too mad. They are very nice to get mad. <laughs> but people from Norway don't get pissed off at Frozen. And people from Mexico don't get pissed off at Coco. And people from France don't get pissed off at Ratatouille. 
Well, I know one, but anyways. Oh, you know what? Let's get back to cultural. People from France get pissed off at a lot of things, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I know some very nice French people too, but I'm just saying that like, it's, it's, it's not, it's not some mind blowing thing. That's like blowing Disney's concept out of the water. It's just a change of his concept. It's a change. It's a, it's a growth of it to drive more people to the parks to experience the parks. You're still getting the same overall experience. I'm a business and I have a responsibility to my stockholders, right? Am I doing what Walt would want me to do, right? And that is show that responsibility, you know, fiscally, and yet balance that with a good product to my consumers. Which, I mean, maybe Walt didn't have, uh, he had investors in the beginning. He didn't necessarily have stockholders, right? But it's the same concept. He was still doing what he needed to do to make his investors happy. They just didn't have Facebook to tell you about it back then. You know, and that's where I think we go back to Walt. Walt knew what people wanted to wanted to uh, see from him in order to sell the business. And this is uh, my number one thing I will tell anybody just overall in sense of what would Walt do. Any history book about Walt will tell you that Walt himself said his that Walt Disney was a facade. He was not the same person behind the media uh, and writing the books and whatever else he needed to do to sell his product. That's not to say that he was a bad man, okay? He wasn't. By all accounts, again, every single person thought Walt was a good human being that knew him. People love to work for him, which says a lot if you have a boss you don't want to work for, right? But he said it was a facade. He drinks, he smokes, right? That's the way he told people. Like, Walt doesn't smoke, I smoke. I mean, to his death, he smoked, right? He doesn't drink, I drink, right? So so for you to sit there and say, because of what you thought you knew of Walt, what would Walt do? Well, maybe Walt would have put beer in Magic Kingdom. Now, you know, maybe he would have. And that's what I do. Every time I'm making a trip around the world is I raise my glass and ask everyone around, what would Walt do? Later, dudes. Later, dudes. Later, dudes. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dudes Dish Disney. Please check us out on social media, on Facebook at Dudes Dish Disney, on Instagram at Dudes Dish Disney, on Twitter at Disney underscore dish. Please visit our sponsor, Magic Vacations, at magicvacations.net. More than just a travel agency, Magic Vacations has over 60 Magic Vacation planners committed to bringing you white glove concierge service. Using a Magic Vacation planner allows you to spend more time making memories and less time worrying about the details. For all of your Disney, Universal, cruise and global travel, go to magicvacations.net. Magic Vacations, discover the magic of travel.